is political. The very act of playing football in most countries in the world is political. Everything that's set up um, from leagues to national teams to ownership is political. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a bit Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's, the Let's just win this to appease the fan. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, the podcast takes football fans behind the scenes. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Matthew Barrett, co-founder of Gold Click, the global storytelling platform that deep dives into communities and shows and shares their stories through the lens of football. Matt, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me and, and what a great introduction as well. <laughs> but um, but yeah, of course, as you know, a new segment that we've brought into the podcast this season is what the footy are you lying for? So could you take me through your uh, your two truths, one lie? Okay, so the three uh, sentences are, uh, number one, uh, I used to play football with David Seaman in my back garden, aged four years old. Wow. Number two. My football coach growing up was Andy Townsend. Number three, I was JJ Okocha's date to a Europa League final. <laughs> football, honestly, I think these are probably the most, the toughest ones I've had so far. And they're so, they're so random, it's just crazy. Um, I had a lot okay, of fun so, thinking about my football life this morning and going, I know they're quite difficult, but actually there's great stories. So I had to agree. Yeah. Used to play with David Seaman, former goalkeeping coach was Andy Townsend. Oh, just my just my coach, just my coach. Just your coach? Yeah. And your, your date to Europa League match with JJ Okocha? Um, something's telling me that somehow that's correct because it's so random. It's just so random that that for me that just feels correct. Um, I'm starting to trust my instincts more on, on, on when I'm doing this, and I don't know why. I just feel like you played with David Seaman in your back garden, age four. I don't know, but something's just telling me that that's right. So the lie I think is your football coach was Andy Townsend. But um, we'll obviously reveal the answers towards the end. Um, but yeah, I thought obviously it'd be great to start off and just sort of let people know why you guys exist. Because for me, I'm quite fascinated by what you guys do. I think especially in a world where football's growing from a sort of commercial perspective, not enough is being done to really deep dive into the lives of football fans globally across the world. Fans tend to generally just be extorted, as you probably know, being a Tottenham fan, new stadium for a lot of money. Um, but yeah, just sort of tell the listeners why you guys exist. For sure. So, I mean, as you said in your introduction, GoalClick is a global storytelling project. We find people from all over the world and we ask them to tell their own stories through the lens of football. So this is very much giving people the chance and the freedom to tell their story. This is the inside of you. This is not an outsider coming in from, um, you know, armed with a camera or a video camera or, um, you know, 
as a journalist and telling someone's story, this is getting the people involved themselves to um, to reveal their own story wherever they are in the world about their lives and their football communities. And that really is the, the essence behind Gold Click, uh, that first person perspective. So we find people, as I said, from, from all over, uh, from the very grassroots, from amputee footballers in Sierra Leone and girls playing on the border of Islamic State uh, in 2015 in Iraq, um, through refugee communities in, in Jordan and Lebanon, um, and then through grassroots amateur football and football fandom and into the professional side of the game, particularly in the women's game, um, where we've done a lot of work. So yeah, in a nutshell, we're trying to help people understand the world and communities and other cultures through football because ultimately a lot of the issues that we cover are quite difficult um you know from refugee issues to women's rights to um, conflict and war all the way into the professional game a lot of the time um these are difficult concepts to get people's heads around and people wouldn't necessarily be interested but when there's that book it's a window into that person's world and story um, that we believe generates a lot more interest. So yeah, that's why we do what we do, and that's why we do it in the way we do it. No, definitely, and I think one of the key things that that you sort of mentioned there was the whole idea around storytelling, and I think definitely in the last sort of year or so, it's been a really prominent thing. So one of the previous episodes from season one, sat down with Mark from Rock Nation, they spoke about the importance of storytelling. We're seeing it now with some of the players that you've worked with, like with the women's uh, US national team, like Megan Rapino, uh, through uh, gender equality, whether that's Sterling with racism. What's been this real big push with athletes and, and just people in general really telling stories through sport? I think that, I mean, so we, we've been, GoClick's been going for six years. And so yeah. uh, it's been uh, interesting to see how, you know, the word storytelling, which was something that was kind of part of our, vocabulary from the very early outset has really grown across the industry now um you know mm. everyone wants to be experts in storytelling um using the buzzword yeah it is it is but you know ultimately you know, for decades now people have been trying to do this it's just being rebranded in a in a moment um mm. i think though the one thing that does matter and has really changed is that now is the time that um there's less gatekeepers um mm. you know Traditionally, you had to go through a media agency or production company or a media um, title to get your story told and they were the, uh, the keepers of the truth and it could be massaged in whatever way um, they wanted. But with the growth of social media and with the proliferation of technology that allows you to capture your own story, there is a lot more opportunity for people to go direct to their own audiences. And also we're in a moment where there is a bit of a social awakening of the athletes themselves to tell these stories. Now, before five years ago, um, you might not have had um, such a socially conscious um, mindset of leading athletes, but um, it's something that's definitely on the rise. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I think those two combining and um, the ability to and the desire to tell stories direct to fans um, is why we're seeing um, more of this at the moment. But this is an old art form. <laughs> you know, this, is, this isn't anything new, um, but it's, it's been given extra impetus. 
No, definitely. And I think one thing that's quite fascinating is that football has always affected lives as the biggest sport in, in the world. And did you almost feel as though football needs to get more involved in the political side of things? And like a lot of the issues that you guys deal with, whether it's looking at refugees, whether it's looking at amputees, like even Alfonso Davies, a player just won the Champions League the other day, someone who was himself a refugee as well. Do you feel as though football needs to really talk about these issues because we always sort of tiptoe around these these sorts of topics, really. Football is um, football is political. The very act of playing football in most countries in the world is political. Everything that's set up um, from leagues to national teams to ownership is political. Um, and I've never had any real um, <laughs> any real time for anyone who claims that it isn't. Um, I think that football is the universal game you know we have discovered we knew it anyway but we have discovered that in every single corner of every single country football exists and it is a universal language um, that reflects society perfectly there is nothing better um, through which to see society's good parts and its flaws than football um, and so um, yeah we feel very strongly that you know, culture, life, society, and the challenges that face people can be expressed um, at its best using football as that as that hook and as that window in. Uh, you know, all of our stories are ultimately not about football; they're about the people that are involved. Um, and as I said, you know, our, our refugee project that we just recently did with the UN, whilst it's a football project, it's not about football. Uh, it's about the lives of those people and the issues at hand um, and yeah you will find in every country at every level um, there are social issues to be discussed and football is a great window into those. No definitely and just sort of deep dive into some of the stuff that you mentioned then the political angle and, and real people two of the projects that you've worked on that, that really stood out to me was uh, the 2018 World Cup, seeing the real Russia and the 2022 one with Qatar. Just sort of talk me more about what you guys discovered through through looking at Russia because as you can imagine the Western media over here and the stories that we ha hear about these communities, what was it actually like being on the ground there? Because from the outside uh, looking in, it looked like a lot of people enjoyed going over to Russia and watching the World Cup there as well. So yeah, I can answer this question in two parts. One, about the project we did and about my own personal experience of Russia. So ahead of the 2018 World Cup, we decided to do a deep dive into uh, Russia and we found 10 Russians to tell the story of the real Russia through football. Um, using our cameras and it's worth pointing out because um, I haven't done so already that Gold Click we arm all of our storytellers with a disposable analog camera so 27 shots on a roll of film and then they also write their own story uh, alongside those photos so much of our output is photos from analog cameras and their own story written um, and then they obviously often go into nice exhibitions um, so we felt there was a massive disconnect between the official Russian view of the World Cup from the government authorities and the kind of Western media view of what was going to happen when you went over to Russia um, and the state of the Russian game. And so we thought, who better than to give us a real sense of what was going on in the Russian people. And the photos and the stories that came back painted a very different image of Russian football than what we had been told. Um, ultimately, in the press it was all about you're going to get beaten up there's drugs there's corruption etc etc 
um, found quite a, I mean, Russian football is a mess. Um, the infrastructure is really crumbling. Um, there is, you know, it's not in a, it's not in a healthy state. But it was a, definitely a more gentle and realistic view of the challenges of Russian football than this quite hyperbolic um, view of of Russia. Uh, and then when I personally went there, um, it was very welcoming, as you would expect. Um, the Russian people are, are very hospitable, um, and you know there was none of this chaos and carnage that we had maybe been led to believe. So that was really the spur to then do an even bigger project around Qatar. So Qatar has obviously um, been rightly in the headlines for the last 10 years since it won the bid um, to host the 2020 World Cup. Yeah. Um, there are some extremely legitimate accusations and um, investigations going on around Qatar um, and their human rights record uh, and various other um, problems that afflict much of the Gulf and the Middle East. But there's also a lot of myth and um, you know, maybe even falsehood around their suitability to, to even host the tournament. You know, the questions that we found are often being asked before um, you go deeply into the country is, is it too hot to play football? Is there a football culture? Can women even play football? Um, you know, will, how will the Qatari team do at the World Cup? You know, isn't it ridiculous that they're even playing there? I think that by what we did is get people from Qatar, uh, both Qatari and non-Qatari, to give their open, honest, intimate view of their lives and their football communities. I think we bust a few myths. And now that is not um, whitewashing the legitimate concerns around um, much of the hosting of the tournament. But um, from a football perspective, um, it was super interesting to see quite how much women's football there is going on, um, quite how vibrant the football culture is there, how well supported the national team is, and how good the national team is, having just won the Asian Cup. Um, the fact that everyone's playing all year round, apart from the three hot summer months. And um, thank God they did move the tournament into December. Um, but yeah, it was just a very interesting window into what the people of Qatar feel about that tournament and about football. And that had not previously been um, documented. Been shown, so, yeah. yeah. Do, did you feel as though, did you feel as though when you went there as well, like liaising with the authorities there, what's their sort of take on how they're portrayed by the, by the sort of Western media? They know it, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah. they know, they know what the perception is. They also are quite realistic mm. with what is wrong in the country and what needs to be changed. Um, you know, it's, I say everything I say with an, an element of caution, but, um, you know, I do believe that Qatar authorities are engaging with their critics, um, you know, from Amnesty to the International Labour Organization to Human Rights Watch, you know, they are talking. They, they might not be moving quick enough, but they are talking mm. and there I feel like this desire from Qatar for obviously people to like them because ultimately this is a exercise in soft power diplomacy um, but you know they know their shortcomings and they are trying to turn a culture and a society um, around but it takes time um, and it's not quite enough in yeah. many many ways but um, yeah I would say compared to other countries which might have hosted 
um, Olympics and football tournaments over the last 20 years, um, where you don't see much um, uh, discussion with the international community. Um, yeah. I do personally feel that this tournament could be a catalyst for wider change in the Gulf region. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's why I wanted to just jump in there because one thing we're really seeing a lot of within the Gulf uh, states within that region is a lot of investment into sport to almost try and change the image of those countries. We're seeing obviously Andy Anthony Joshua go out there for his fight with Andy Ruiz, and there's talks of obviously uh, the Fury fight happening out there as well. Going back to that storytelling um, sort of buzzword, do you feel as though these these sorts of events can really help to show that real? Real, real Qatar, like you guys showed the real Russia. It's funny that we think of sports washing just as a golf pursuit or a Chinese or Russian pursuit when ultimately wasn't London 2012 mm. just purely an exercise in that as well. Um, so, you know, sport mm. and major tournaments have always served um, to tell the story of that country and to, um, you know, improve that country's standing and attract imminent investment and um, you know engage with the world more widely um, and Qatar is just that on acid <laughs> um, you know it's uh, it's the epitome of it mm. um, because before 2010 most of the world had never heard of Qatar um, so I think it's really really important to hear from the people themselves because we hear a lot from the authorities, we hear a lot from media, we hear quite a lot from um, international NGOs who are holding all of these people to account, um, but we hear very, very little from the ordinary people themselves. And ultimately, you know, isn't that the most important part of all of this, that the people of a country benefit? Um, and I think the investment into football internally in Qatar has been slightly mind-boggling, actually, in the last 10 years. Um, growing it from almost nothing to an incredibly vibrant football culture um, for men and women. And you know, we have a particular interest in telling stories of the women's game. Um, and it's really fascinating in Qatar seeing mm. quite how much women's football there is going on. No, definitely. And, and obviously as well, like zooming into other countries that you guys have done projects with as well. Obviously over here in England, we're, we're not overly perfect as well. Obviously, I know you guys have done some work here as well. What, what's been the sort of focus here from the grassroots? Yeah, I mean, GoalClick is, um, the majority of our stories do come from the grassroots. Um, and we do tend to yeah. try and predict issues as they, um, before they come up. <laughs> um, hence, you know, mm. doing so much within the women's game in the year leading up to the Women's World Cup. Starting this refugee project that we that we launched in June three years ago, um, we are always on the lookout for inspirational people, compelling stories at the grassroots level. Um, to be fair, we haven't done loads in the UK over the years because we tried to establish GoalClick as a global organisation first before it felt very Anglo-centric. Um, but we are starting to do more in England and the UK, particularly with the Euros both men and women's Euros coming in 21 and 22. Um, I think I see a lot more um, storytelling from the grassroots of the UK um, from us over the next two years. So, so stay tuned. No, definitely. Obviously seeing that you guys work with partners like FIFA and, uh, and quite a few of the governing bodies, what, what more do you want to see from these governing bodies? Because it's almost like you guys have 
created like become a company because you spotted an issue and you spotted a problem and you come in there and solved this why haven't fifa or uefa done anything bigger to really come in there and solve it and why is it taking someone with, with your sort of nous and entrepreneurship uh, mindset to I come mean, in there and fix it to defend the authorities for a, a brief second I, I think fifa and uefa do do a reasonable amount and they do try and tell these yeah. stories but they often don't tell them in quite as intimate and um, raw a way that we do, um, because you know we don't have to go through many levels of um, bureaucracy in order to tell these stories. We can go straight to source. So, you know, these big authorities are trying, I think, to um, you know invest in the right places. Albeit, you know, we've got decades of uh, mis <laughs> misrule um, to get through. I think actually. I feel that also people go straight for FIFA and UEFA when I have slightly more issues with national federations. Um, you know, ultimately, these big supranational bodies like FIFA and UEFA can only really be as good as the 200 plus national federations that sit below them. Um, and if you know those organisations are not doing the right things, um, then it's very hard um, for a global body to make change. Um, you know. This is part of the problem that money gets diverted into national federations and in many cases then gets misappropriated. Um, so, yeah, I think they try, but that's not their reason for being. Their reason for being is to um, organise tournaments, govern, invest um, and ultimately, you know, try and direct national federations in the right way but um also these organizations have never truly been wonderful at communicating the rich stories that are from within their communities um, and that's why people like us need to come in um as yeah. you know media organizations you know organizations with a social um, ethos and we can tell these stories in a, in a better way do, do you almost feel as though like more Premier League clubs, for instance, need to be doing more? Because obviously quite a lot of them do the pre-season tours, going to uh, third world countries and developing countries. Like I, I believe that with the financial muscle that they had, obviously pre-COVID, um, and obviously going there with their sort of content strategy and teams could really yeah. help and accelerate the work. So that I you think guys that doing. a lot of the a lot of the clubs have had very you know well-meaning, well-run foundations in their local communities for a long time. They're often partnering with NGOs around the world to, to do yeah. um, good work, but it always feels that it's on the periphery of those organizations. You know, the departments are very separate. Mm. Often the foundations are completely yeah. separate. Um, it gets labeled as CSR or community. Whereas I think CSR, what we're trying yeah. to say is that, you know, there doesn't need to be this separation. Um, and you know, this kind of, you know, another buzzword, this kind of purpose <laughs> um, and storytelling should live yeah. within the heart of a club. Um, and, you know, it's a, it takes it takes a long time to, to get there. Um, but I, of course, I believe that clubs should be doing more and more and more. That's not to say they're not doing lots already. Um, I think one thing that yeah. I personally am passionate about is uh, the Common Goal movement. Um, which is the Street Football World Fund, headed by Juan Mata, um, to get footballers and people in the industry to pay 1% of their 
revenues and salaries into a common fund for um, global sport for development organizations and they're doing a brilliant job they're getting a lot of high profile people on board from Jurgen Klopp and Megan Rapinoe to um, to Quan Mata um, as I said um, we're part of that movement and we encourage anyone in the football community to also join that movement um, because there is an obligation from a commercial juggernaut that is um, global football and the Premier League and Premier League clubs to to give back more and more and more. The question that we always end on is the what the footy question. So what the footy do you believe needs to sort of change or happen within your space? Um, I think people need to get out of the way um, and, uh, wow. yeah. you know, it's an interesting position for Goldclick to be in because ultimately, whilst we're curating and guiding, we try and get out the way of people um, to tell their own story. And I think that um, there's a very natural human desire to be in control. And um, that can extend from storytelling all the way into every part of, uh, of life. Um, there's something very powerful in getting out of the way and letting someone else's voice be heard because one of the problems with a lot of the, um, the people we work with, particularly on the women's side of the game, particularly on the refugee side of the game, particularly people who have suffered from conflict, um, is that they have a voice but that voice is silenced or unheard and their story is untold. And um, you know, giving platforms to other people, giving them the mic is a very important and powerful act um, so yeah that's my a bit of a guiding philosophy of gold click to get out of the way and, and give other people that chance to um, to speak no I think that's been the most powerful answer this season to that to that question but uh, it's obviously now come to the time to reveal your answers to what the footy you lying for and you're rubbing your hands so that can only mean that I've, I've you've got it right I'm afraid uh, I've got it right, yes. So, yes, I knew it. So, um, do you want the background on those stories? Oh, I love the backgrounds, please. So, um, I went to primary school with two of David Seaman's sons, uh, okay. and uh, I was in one of one of them. I was in their class, and David Seaman uh, would, uh, on occasion, be in my back garden, and uh, we would play football. Um, together about the age I think I was the age I think I was age four four or five at that time yeah was he always going in goal or was he playing a bit outfield as well a, a bit of both I think but yeah I definitely scored a goal yeah. past David Seaman uh, in my back garden um, <laughs> that, that is a good story for a dinner party absolutely um, I'm, I know yeah. for a fact that David doesn't remember that because I once met him and was like do you remember that and he was like no um, <laughs> so the second uh, part is uh, my football coach growing up it wasn't Andy Townsend, it was in fact Ray Houghton. Uh, Ray Houghton. So uh, the junior football team I played from kind of age 11 to 16, um, Ray Houghton's son, Brett, was in that team um, and mm. he would kind of coach the team. Um, not manage, but kind of coach. Um, coach, okay. Yeah, that was... I feel very fortunate to have learned from such a great player um, and picked up some of some of his knowledge um, as, as a junior. Um, and then the third one, which is the most random, crazy one, 
um, was uh, JJ Kocha. <laughs> um, it was Turin, 2014. Yeah. The uh, won the Europa League again. I can't remember who they were. Of course they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing that is constant: Sevilla winning the Europa League. Um, and I was working for a sports marketing agency. We had a few players working um, on one of our clients. Uh, Western Union, who were the lead sponsor of the tournament at the time, and yeah. took over Patrick Vieira, JJ Kocha, and a few other players to the final. And um, obviously, they all had a plus one. Um, JJ's uh, didn't want to go, um, and so I, <laughs> I took uh, JJ's plus one, and we had a lovely meal together beforehand. And uh, yeah, basically, um, I was uh, I was JJ's plus one to the Europa League final. <laughs> No, those, those are some cracking stories. But Matt, absolute pleasure having you on the What The Footy podcast, co-founder of Click, the global storytelling platform that shows stories through the lens of football. Um, great to have you here, man. Thank you. Uh, my absolute pleasure. And if anyone wants to check out our uh, material, they can look at Gold Click um, on uh, our website, uh, goal-click.com and at Gold Click on Instagram. Um, to see stories from all around the world from north korea to afghanistan to the uk i forgot to shout out your social handle you for doing my job basically um but guys if you love this episode <laughs> download subscribe rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend let's go what the footy what the footy what the footy what the footy Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a putting in Arsenal. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. Looking for a way to make online learning a better option for your family? When it comes to virtual learning, experience matters. Tuition-free K-12-powered schools are ready to put over 20 years of experience to work for you, giving your child the personalized learning they deserve without disruptions. With a K-12-powered school, students gain the skills they need to be prepared for their next steps in life, building a better future for each one of us. K-12, education for any one. Learn more at k12.com. Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just 2 bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company.